Welcome to On The Verge Season 3. This is Jean Chaumont. I'm the composer and producer of the show. What are you on the verge of? How do everyday people turn inspiration into incarnation? On The Verge is a podcast of the Northwest Coast Presbytery, created by Corey Schlosserholm. And for this third season, we're turning the tables to figure out what our host until now, Corey Schlosserholm, is on the verge of. So join us as we embark on this special journey. How are you doing? This is Doug Bunnell, and I am filling in today for the one and only inimitable Corey Schlosser Hall. And we are here on The Verge, and we are kind of turning the tables a little bit. As we would say in our house, the foo is on the other shut. And so, Corey, we have turned you around. Instead of being on the interviewer side of this podcast, we are just doing a special episode putting you on the interviewee side. We want to know what you are on the verge of. So, Corey Schlosser-Hall, welcome to your own podcast. It is good to see you here. This is so great, Doug. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. It's kind of fun. And I've never heard that. The foo is on the other shit. I love that. The foo is on the other shit. A little spoonerism for you there. I love it. Um, we get together and this is fun. Obviously, it's bittersweet. You and I have talked. This is a yeah. bittersweet moment because we are celebrating 15 years of ministry in what was not always the Northwest Coast Presbytery, what at one point was the, what was it, Puget Sound? North Puget Sound. North Puget Sound Presbytery, and then became the Northwest Coast Presbytery. But 15 years is a long time, and you are off to an exciting new adventure, which we're going to get to. But before we jump into that, everyone has heard you get to interview people, but sometimes we don't get to ask those important, life-changing, those really key questions. So this is lightning round, just right off the top of your head, give me your first answer. Okay. First off, favorite favorite U2 song. I realize that's not even fair to ask, but favorite U2 song. Uh, it's so not fair to ask, but I got to go with Until the End of the World. Until the End of the World, beautiful. But it, maybe it's on this day. Maybe I should just say today, what's your favorite U2 song? There you go. <laughs> that's a good one. That is a great one. Okay, this one I'm sure is just right off the top of your head. Your favorite section of the Book of Order. As you oh. think of the PCUSA Book of Order, favorite section. You don't need to cite the number. W. <laughs> the W, the worship. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. It's good, man. It's so good. It's rich. It's beautiful. It is rich. And it's the one that we turn to probably the, well, the discipline, hopefully we turn to the least. Yeah, that's right. The, the worship one. That's great. It's, it's not one we always look at, but it is so good. Yeah. Favorite Marvel movie. Have you gotten into these? Do you have a favorite Marvel movie? Oh, man. I think Black Panther was stunning. I probably watched it five times. So don't tell anybody that. Wakanda forever. It's amazing. I'm just going to go with that. God, it's so good. I agree. It's fantastic. This is also not fair. But today, if you could have lunch with a Ted Lasso character, which Ted Lasso character would you want to have lunch with? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, aside from Ted, probably Rebecca. Mm. Her character has undergone quite an evolution. I marvel at her, especially, I got to say, my favorite episode is episode nine of the first season. I think it was nine. Yeah. All apologies. It's called All yep. Apologies. And this is the moment when she like goes and apologizes to dead. So there's a theme there, you know, until the end of the world, you too was all about forgiveness and mm-hmm. Jesus forgiving Judas. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, 
This is a Jesus forgiving Judas. It's not Jesus, but you know what I mean. She was betraying him. She was. She did. Over and over again. And he asked for forgiveness and he gave it. And it was really cool. Damn. It was a kingdom moment of, of many kingdom moments. Yeah. Many kingdom moments in that, in that story. But it was a kingdom moment. Big time. Yeah. Oh, I love Amen. that. Okay. Next question. Um, biblical character that you identify with. Well, I think you and I might share it. I really like Barnabas. Yes, we do. He's awesome. He's not a showstopper, but he is kind of a quiet bridge building hero of act. So love Barnabas. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Um, We all know your favorite Pac-12 team is the Oregon (laughs) Ducks. And so I just want to know for 15 years, what is it like being a duck? amidst a massive herd of Huskies? Do you feel safe? Does it, I mean, what is it like living out your duckness in a, in a somewhat, let's say less than friendly environment? Yeah, that's great. Actually, it's been good. It's been playful and fun. I have not experienced hostility, if you will. I had a really, a a good colleague and friend got me tickets to the ducks playing the Huskies this year. And I got to go and their tickets were season ticket holder Huskies. Adrian and I were like the only ducks in the whole sea of Huskies. But I struck up the best friendship with the people around me. And they were like, yeah, yeah, you guys did it this year. It was not hostile. It was a demonstration of the gospel, right? We can be friends in the middle of being enemies. and, And it's a good thing. But I always like to say, you know. I root for the Huskies every time they're not playing the Ducks. So what the heck? Yeah. But those Duck Husky games are far more memorable. Yes, they are. They maintain great importance throughout the year. Yes. I guess I would just say it's been fun and playful to do that. And with you, a Cardinal. Yeah. Do that over the years and have our little rivalry. And that has become quite a rivalry. It has been. There was very little rivalry this year uh, across the board. Although, (laughs) yeah, that was once that was Stanford's only high moment was that hard day against that hard day of the Ducks. That was. Oh, my gosh. Where we snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Exactly. one of your favorite questions. I'm going to just turn it around on you. Tell me about your spiritual upbringing. What was your spiritual upbringing? Well, you know, like most people, it started before I was born. I I grew up in the Dakotas and my dad came from a pretty staunchly German Catholic family. My mom came from one of those small town mongrel Protestant upbringings, you know, part Methodist, part UCC, part something. And almost nowhere else in the country other than small town South Dakota would this become front page news or Northern Ireland, where our favorite band is from. And (laughs) exactly, (laughs) but it was front page news. It was a mixed marriage, Catholic and Protestant getting married. And so I I grew up in that environment. I remember as a kid um, going back and forth between the Catholic church and a Methodist church in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Mm -hmm. And I liked the Methodists better because they had carpet on the ground. And that's where I spent all my time was just like crawling around <laughs> under the pews and whatnot. But I loved the crossing and the water and all the things of going to the Catholic church because they had a lot of things, little behaviors that you would do that made it special. But my mom and dad made an Episcopal compromise when I was in third grade. So 
I ended up being confirmed in the Episcopalian church. And then about that same time, not far after that, my mom had a really strong, she would have called it a born again experience in that season in the mid seventies. And that really shaped a lot of our family life after that. And I would just say that, you know, we were Episcopalian with soul, with spirit, (laughs) with, (laughs) um, and I, I found it to be, looking back, an interesting spiritual upbringing. But part of what happened for me, and I'll just, I'll sort of end it here. Part of what happened was, you know, after high school, I'd like a lot of people, I, you know, wasn't involved in church for a while. And then I came back to it through an Assembly of God church in Fargo, North Dakota, when I was going to North Dakota State before I became a duck. Yeah. And, um it was a really profound, and it was through the music and the emotional intensity of the worship experience and, and music that really uh, sort of captured my spirit at that time. And, you know, I think I shared this in one of my postings, but I remember going, going up at an altar call at the end of worship one day and saying, God, you know, I'm done. I'm yours. And, uh, I remember going out to the car afterwards with my friend Craig. Craig was one of those northern Minnesotans who talked like that from <laughs> Hibbing, Minnesota, played hockey, wore jerseys and whatnot. And he was he was just, anyway, he, Craig was fabulous. We went out to the car afterwards and he said, so what was that like? And I said, I don't know, Craig, but the only thing I do know right now is I'm not driving anymore. So it was a very important experience. And I got to tell you, I think part of my love uh, since then, has been wanting to find the marriage between the intellectual integrity, if you will, <laughs> the intellectual integrity and the depth of knowledge and understanding of the Presbyterian tradition and the emotional intensity of that worship experience. I mean, if we could bring those things together, whoo, that would be an interesting it, Oh, And we've been looking for that for centuries. I mean, the Jesuits started looking for that. They call it the third way. You know, they were looking at it a bunch of just desiccated intellectuals with very little heart. And these people with great heart, but very little oomph behind it and saying, how do we, how do we marry these two things? So there's yeah. passion as well as deep intellectual engagement. And you don't have to give up either. Exactly. Woo. That's actually incredibly interesting. You know, John Mason and I had a gathering of the Corey Schlosser Hall fan club. I want to be there. It was great. It was awesome. But as we talked, we were sharing things we appreciated. And John thinks you get Pentecostal. I do. He thinks that when you lead meetings, you get up there and he loves that you just kind of draw. And is that what you draw on when you lead meetings and just jump into that? Are you drawing on kind of some of those seasons and times in the AG? Or was it even back in the Episcopal church, if they had some soul, was that... No, not so much. Not so much. They were, they were not, not those types of, not those types of Episcopals because there are Pentecostal, there are Pentecostal Episcopals. It's a wild marriage. But one of those seasons for me where I felt like I got to experience that was frankly with you too. So I remember going to the, all that you can't leave behind the mm-hmm. elevation tour in, 20, in 2001 or whenever that was, I went to like three of their <laughs> expressions of that one in Tacoma, one in Portland, and then again, somewhere else. 
So, you know, I'm betraying a little of my fanboyness. Mm-hmm. But it was in one of those experiences where it hit me. This is worship. Yeah. This is worship. You've got a confession, you know, when they're singing until the end of the world. You've got a sermon when they're, you know, preaching beautiful day or pride. You've got ascending when they're singing where the streets have no name and vertigo. It's a reformed worship service at a YouTube concert. And there's deep intellectual engagement in this stuff if you're paying attention. So I guess I don't know where that comes from other than you know, you and I probably share this extra extroversion. And when I get around my people, I want us to all have like a, a, a moment where we kind of share in heart the same expression or a same elevation of our mind and heart. And I don't know, that's where the handshakes come from, where the <laughs> praise be to God comes from. For the, Can I get a hallelujah comes from? Hallelujah. And I suppose it's a, a bit Pentecostal, but it's, it's mostly, a, you know. We get to be with our people and yeah. let's it's uh, joy. Yeah. We're showing the joy and I love it. And I, ironically, I had a similar moment on that tour, but it was down in the Oakland area. I got invited by one of my college students and I was realizing that I was aging out of college ministry. It was time for me to move on, but I went with these college students and it was a sense of they were deeply, they were getting something so rich from you too. And I had been getting something so rich from YouTube for years. And it was post 9-11. I don't know if you remember this. It was not only was it the whole worship, but they also were able to hold the tension of lament as they scrolled all the names of the people who died on 9-11. Super Bowl halftime. You remember? Oh, it was it was one of the most stunning moments of just tension and, and lament and grief and hope all at the same time, which is what we hope church is all about, that it's real and genuine and holds the tension well. Amen. And that we can, we can live in the midst of that. Still the best Super Bowl halftime ever. It was. Amen. <laughs> can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. <laughs> um, well, we're, we're talking, I mean, we're, we're specifically talking here, Corey, because you have spent the last 15 years as an executive press patrol on that moment when you said you were no longer driving on that moment when you said, Lord, lead me. The Lord led you to an administrative fathead role, which up to my point at that point had always been occupied by administrative fatheads. And yeah. here you come into the role of executive presbyter. It just has a, a fathead sound to it. It does. What was it like? What led you to that moment? How was God leading you into that those 15 years? It's a little bit of a longer story. I'm not going to share all of it, but I'll give you some of the key moments, if you will. So first of all, my spouse's Adrian uh, was a pastor for 17 years before she set aside her ordination back in 2017 or 20 years. And she was uh, cared for through the preparation for ministry process in this teamwork between the congregation that she was under care of the Presbytery and, you know, we still remember Gail, who was her amazing CPM liaison. And walking through that together, when I observed, wow, this is a local church in the bigger church doing some listening to God in the same vein. Whew, that's cool. So that was one experience. The other was at that same church, there was a I'll never forget. We had a good, really good friend from Adrian Seminary on staff as an intern at the time. So we heard lots about what was going on. And I'll never forget one uh, Sunday in the fall of 1997, the 
senior or pastor and associate pastor were in the bulletin, but they weren't in worship. And then afterwards, they got up sort of um, guided by the executive presbyter to say, we're resigning as your pastors because we've been having a relationship with each other. And they were both married to other people at the time. And I just remember in that moment, both the executive presbyter and the lay leaders of that congregation, the elders of that congregation, were stunning and amazing. I mean, they were just incredible in terms of their leadership and honesty. And the church was just so very honest about what was going on and truth-telling about what was going on. There was just no you know, hiding or trying to spin anything. And it was a beautiful thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, The other thing that happened, though, there's an interim pastor who came in. His name was Dan Little. Dan Little is an important mentor for me. And I remember sitting down and talking with him because he was retired at the time and living in Ithaca, New York, in, in this fabulous, idyllic little village. And so he decided to come in the you know middle of winter to the Twin Cities of Minnesota to work with this congregation through this difficult situation. And I said, why in the world would you do that? And one of the things he, he said, many things, but one of the things he said was, well, it seemed like I remember his word he used. It seemed like one of the clearest instantiations of the gospel that I could think of. Where can we go to where something has been broken that we can see what might happen with this brokenness? And man, they they led so well. The teamwork between the elders and the presbytery. I mean, who would have known uh, the larger church being really effective and useful for the health and growth of this church? So anyway... A few years later, I was shifting my own vocational trajectory because I thought I was going to graduate school at University of Minnesota to be a professor because that's who some of my vocational heroes were at the time. And I just realized I can't be an academic. This whole, you know, reading this much, researching this much, even if you're collaborative and doing stuff with other people, there's so much solo engagement. And I just had to be people first and research and writing later rather than research and writing first and people later. And it just didn't work well. That whole academic life didn't work well on my physical being. So I said to my advisor, I don't think I'm going to be a professor, but he convinced me, he and a few others convinced me to finish my PhD. And because I didn't have to build an academic research platform, I could do whatever I wanted. And This example of this church walking through this crisis, not the crisis itself so much, but the next 18 months in which they learned from it, they grew from it, they developed their identity stronger and became healthier through it. It was part of my recognition of what happened through that crisis. Watching that happen, having a good example (laughs) this kind of thing happened. And the blessedness with which the Presbytery could be engaged in the life of a local congregation. And my fascination with organizations, you know, I was studying organizational communication at the time, led to when my wife was called. So there's all that. So I ended up writing about that experience, leadership and communication in that congregation for my dissertation. And so it's called From Exile to Exodus, Rhetoric and the Reconstitution of Community in One Congregation's Crisis and Leadership. You know, you got to have a good colon with a long subtitle for a people. <laughs> this is important. So um, 
All that is to say, it was not long after that, that Adrian was called to be a chaplain at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. And we moved out to the Seattle area. This would have been February 2001, right before the Nisqually earthquake. And when we came out here, I was finishing my dissertation, caring for my daughter and getting a six-month hiatus between things. It was a real gift. But at the end of that six months, Adrian sent me this email. Seattle Presbytery is searching for a communications director. Well, I'd been doing nonprofit communications for four years. You know, I'd been studying this stuff and all this jazz. It seemed like, wow, this makes sense. And so that's how I got started in working with a presbytery is in Seattle Presbytery. Now, So that's a longer story, but you can see there's absolutely key moments of not this pay attention to that not this (laughs) pay attention to that so i never set out to be an executive presbyter no i just kind of backed my way into it no we would we would have diagnosed you if you set out to do it yeah There's so many questions we could talk about those 15 years, but I really want to ask the question, what are you on the verge of? Because obviously that season after 15 years is coming to an end and there's a new season. So what are you on the verge of in this season right now? Well, vocationally, I'll be starting in a couple of weeks with the Presbyterian Mission Agency, which is one of our six national agencies in the PCUSA. And it's a new role in position called Director of Rebuilding and Vision Implementation. Again, we're good at lots of syllables, so (laughs) probably too many. But one of the things that I have had so much joy doing is listening to, walking with, seeing when people are inspired, they're they're becoming inspired to do something new or take another tact or make another approach in ministry, they're not quite come to terms with it yet. In other words, they they don't quite know how to name it like you do when you're in it and maybe a few steps down the road, you can look back and say, oh, that's what that was. But But they're inspired and they're trying to move toward tangibilitating this inspiration or toward, you know, in our terms, incarnating this inspiration, trying to give it some legs and walk. And then that there's that space between inspiration and incarnation, which was the inspiration for this podcast. Right. Uh, finding people in that space and helping them, you know, make sense of it for others. Um, so that's just one of my favorite places to be. And it feels like with the Presbyterian Mission Agency, they're at a space where they have become inspired by a vision and they want to give it legs and make it walk really in the world. And they sense that they need that. And they asked me if I would join them and do that. And so I'm excited to join Diane and others at the mission agency to, to see what might become of this. We don't know, but that's what I'm on the verge of. And uh, don't. Oh, I love it. Well, it's a big challenge. Tell me about the discernment process because you love to walk through people. What was it like to be on that discernment process of realizing when this particular season was done and the next season was coming, what what was it like to pay attention to the spirit, to try to just be fully aware as you went through that process? Hmm. Wow, good question. Well, I guess what I'd want to do is share with you a, a moment with my amazing wife, Adrian that happened while we were coming back from a vacation a few years ago. So we were coming back from Zephyr Point, 
you know, you and I share that location as well. Dining. Beautiful places on the planet. So we were at Zephyr Point. We we're coming back. And one of the things that I love to do is, you know, we're, we're ducks, right? So we would go stay with friends in Eugene on our way down and on our way back. And on our way back, we'd often get into town, you know, just before dinner time. Because it's a long drive from Lake Tahoe to Eugene. Yes, it is. <laughs> just before dinner time. And, you know, have a good dinner. And I always got energized by walking through the campus because there's always so much transformation happening on the U of O campus every year. And I'd like love to see, well, what are the new changes this year? And that happened to be the year when Hayward Field was not yet complete. But Hayward Field is the famous track and field stadium on U of O campus. was not yet complete, but it was on its way. Right. And because we had been taking vacations at Zephyr Point, each year I would go and see. There was one year when the old Hayward Field was completely leveled and there was nothing developed. And the next year there was some developed. And this was the year before it got completely done. So it wasn't quite done. And so I just loved watching this. And our old campus ministry place where this is where I got introduced to a Presbyterian way of being Christian was <laughs> through the campus ministry at the University of Oregon. And our old campus ministry place was this, you know, home that was built in the 1890s, fabulous little place that everybody loved and had great nostalgia for. And we went to visit and it was completely transformed. It used to be called the Koinonia Center. Now it's called the K-House and it's got 140 student rooms. So it's a student housing facility right across the street from campus. And it's amazing and fabulous. And I loved it. And just realizing how much energy and how much imagination I get when things are transforming and seeing it. I, just, I mean, it just bubbled with this stuff. And so Adrian and I, we always have these vocational conversations when we're coming home. And I remember it was after one of those nights wandering through the campus, being amazed at the transformation and all the bubbles happening. And I was talking to her about this and she looked over as I was, you know, sharing what I loved most about stuff. And she said, you know, what I'm hearing is that what you really dig the most is helping organizations transform for the common good, mm -hmm. or she called it reinventing organizations for the common good or kingdom of God. Yeah. And I had never heard it said that way, but you know, she's a voice of the spirit in my life so often. Yeah. <laughs> and Wise. So that was, that was one of those things where it's like, Ooh, this is what I love most about what I am doing. And at the same time, there was another kind of desire growing. You know, I'd been at the time, it was like 13 years I had been doing this work with the Presbyterian. It feels like that's kind of some of the work that I was and we were doing together is reinventing our presbytery for the kingdom of God Amen. and for the common good and having fun most of the time doing it. And... <laughs> That sort of got me looking like if I was going to do something else, what would it be like? I mean, it was just kind of like an openness if I were. Yeah. So it, it kind of moved from this articulation of what was, what was most essential in terms of my vocational expression to an openness to, you know, exploring what would that look like if I were to do that somewhere else? And where would that be? Another thing that came up in that conversation was, because I'd been doing this for so 
so, what felt like so long. Yeah, it was long. It was sort of a primary leadership role, the executive presbyter. I kind of thought, would there be a way for me to do this in a secondary role and play offensive line for someone who is more of like a non-traditional primary role? You know, and preferably if they weren't white, that would be great. You know, if it was, <laughs> if it was someone in an organization that, you know, may not have been that organization's traditional go-to person, like a white middle-class guy like me. And I could use my executive experience to help play off the offensive tackle for that person. And when, when I was reached out to last October by folks in the human resources department and PMA, and they talked, we're creating this new position for this purpose. And the primary leader is going to be Diane Givens Moffat, who's an African-American woman and, and amazing and fabulous. I kind of thought, okay, this is about <laughs> reinvention transformation. And I get to be secondary and get to work, you know, through all this, it seemed like, gosh, something was, something might be coming together in this. So I said, sure, I'll talk to you about it. And one thing led to another. And then that's when this happened. So it was kind of like recognizing what was central, becoming open to it. And then at some point there was a conversation along the way that says, we see you in this role from the larger community and it's a new role and it's about reinvention and you can be, you know, you serve as a secondary to a key primary leader who is not the traditional person serving in that executive director role. And um, I don't know, it seemed like God was putting something together. So when you see all those pieces come together, you kind of have to say, let's explore this. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, to have been given that dream, that sense of, wow, I've been doing this, but I feel like I need to move into some place. And then to see a, a situation where you're like, wow, look at that. I, yeah. I, I've been thinking about that. And that looks like it. And then what, what did you say? What was the line that the interim pastor used in Minnesota? Seems like this is the clearest instantiation of the gospel that I could find at this moment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just as you said that, that's what it feels like now, right? I mean, that's what this, this new season feels like the clearest, the clearest yeah, chance example. To, to live that out. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, as you are, you're, I mean, you are right now on the precipice. You've had your last day as executive presbyter. You're moving into this new season. What are you going to miss of 15 years of executive presbyter? Just one thing. You don't need to pick up all of them, but what's one thing you'll miss? I'm going to miss the key thing I'm going to miss is the joy, the celebration, the recognition that we do in our life together when God is putting something new together. So, you know, Doug, Whenever you do something at a Presbytery Leadership Summit, you are always the, the highlight of people's day. But what you celebrate in our Leadership Summits is when God is assembling a vocational step in mission for God's people, right? It's when new people become part of our Presbytery mm -hmm. because they're on a new step in ministry. And you do these amazing game shows and things like that. But that's, that's a symbolic moment in which we're identifying and celebrating the reliable but mysterious way that God's spirit does what God does, which is put people together with God's purpose and mission to create something for God's kingdom. And that is, I just, I'm going to miss that in the invisible places where that happens. Like the conversations we were celebrating the other night when yep. many of us got together, 
kind of the, the or, or shall I say, only visible to a very few people, yeah. to then, you know, more public incarnations of that. And it's happening all the time in our life together. And we get to bear witness to it. And whenever those moments happen, that's what I'm going to miss. When those moments happen of people recognizing who God is shaping them to be and them taking steps toward it, that, ah, that's what I'm going to miss the most. It's pretty profound. Yeah. And t- you've already kind of said it, but what are you looking forward to? As you look forward to this new season, you and I are so wired just to look forward in anticipation for something exciting. What, what excites you about this next season? <laughs> it's great. Gosh. Well, I'll, I'll share a few other things first. One is both of my daughters are in college now mm-hmm. and they are on this vocational exploration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Maya is doing student teaching right now at this really great little high school at Willamina High School. And she is having a fantastic, challenging, but confirming experience that God is shaping her to be a teacher. My youngest is at University of Victoria, Hannah, and she's having these routine, mind-blowing experiences. You know, like her sociology professor, she, she just loves and she, she's like, boom, dots are getting connected. Now she's taking this class on the monotheistic religions of the world and she's like, boom, dots are getting connected. You know, that mind-blowing freshman year college experience. Oh, it's so exciting. So good. And Adrian, my spouse, is also, uh, she's running a physical therapy clinic right now, but she's going through a significant year of healing from, from difficulties in her hands and wrists and elbows and new things are emerging for her, which is exciting. So, uh, so all that is to say part of the next chapter that I'm looking forward to is this unfolding with, you know, with my amazing, at least immediate family. Mm-hmm. But the other part in relation to my vocation is, and this is, might sound a little bit weird, but I love big time uphill vertical learning curves and I'm going to have a huge one. It's true. It's going to be huge. I mean, so here we are in, you know, little Northwest Coast Presbytery. I mean, we're not that little geographically. We're huge geographically. And in terms of our context, you know, variations, mm-hmm. man. But we've got six people who are part of our staff. And uh, many of them are part-time and all that kind of thing. And th- I'm going to this agency that has like 360 staff people. And I need to do this kind of work. And how many stakeholders are there are in this ministry and how much intense listening I'm going to have to do for a significant period of time before I start talking. <laughs> because, uh, oofta, man, there's just a lot there. Yeah. So it's going to be a huge learning curve. It's going to be a massive challenge. And I don't know, I kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm looking forward to. It sounds awesome. And then we'll just see what God does with all of this, uh, because there are some amazing people at the Presbyterian Mission Agency, and it's just, it'll be fun to be part of what, what God is up to there. We'll see. That's beautiful. If I can, I'm just going to share a book, because you and I share a love of books. Please. I'll just pass on a book titled Designing Your Life. It's based on the Stanford School of Design, but it's a class they offer to seniors in college about how do you prototype your life and how do you use design principles to try to figure out vocation. Fascinating. It's a very kingdomish question 
but it's every one of your family members are going through this. So it might be fun to read it together as a family and just say, hey, how are we paying attention? What are we learning in the places where things go well? But more importantly, what are we learning in the places where things don't go well? Yeah. How do we, you know, that's what design people, they're like, this failed miserably, but we learned a ton and that made it a really important thing. So <laughs> thank you for that recommendation. I'm going to go get it. Pass it on. I will. Just for a fun one. And just for those of us in the Corey Schlosser Hall fan club, how can we continue to stick along with what you're doing? Where are the places we can read up? Where, where's the communication about what you're doing? What's going on in the Presbyterian Missions Agency? What, what are the places where we can kind of be a part of yeah. continuing to, to watch your journey? That's great. Well, I mean, one perhaps simple thing would be subscribe to the PCUSA News. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is where several things will be shared at PCUSA.org forward slash news. Now, I don't have like my own website or anything like that for, you know, CoreySchlosserHall.com. Yet. Maybe I, yeah, <laughs> there you go. But, you know, I'm, I'm on Facebook once in a while. Just look. So, there are no other humans in the world that have the last name Schlosser Hall that I can figure out. Yeah. So uh, we're it. So you go to Facebook, go to Instagram, go to, you know, LinkedIn and just look for a Schlosser Hall and you'll get Adrian, my wife, or me <laughs> <laughs> or Maya or Hannah. I was, was going to add on. I was going to add on there. So you can do that, but I'm not a huge poster. You know, I don't take pictures of my meals and put them on Facebook, but every once in a while I'll, I'll share something there if there's something big happening. So I guess the, the other response to that is stay tuned. There may be other ways to come. Okay. Good. And I'm assuming those will come down to the presbytery. Yes, absolutely. When your blog and podcast get established, then we'll, That's we'll, right. we'll know how to check it out and, and how to find out what's going on. But I would encourage our listeners who are listening to this podcast to, if you haven't yet, go back and listen to season one of On The Verge podcast. I mean, there are stories. You are in there, Doug. There are stories from, uh, I think there were like 12 or 13 different episodes that we did of people who are or were on the verge of something significant in their life and ministry and vocation. And it's just been that's been one of the richest experiences of the last year is doing, you know, sharing those stories that way. It's pretty cool. Love it. We're, we're Doug, you and I, and so many others are so blessed to be part of this body of Christ called the Northwest Coast Presbyterian to see what God has done with us is a pretty blessed thing. Thanks be to God. Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's been awesome. Well, Corey, you have worked tirelessly. You have done an amazing job for 15 years. You have earned the final word. Do you have a final encouragement? Any final encouragement you would pass on to the good people of the Presbytery as you make your way out? Wow. Dang. I would say two. Can, can I have two? You get two. You, you, have <laughs> earned, you have earned three if you want them. They're yours, brother. Take them. So one, I think, would be just for fun, some Sunday, get a good cup of coffee or whatever you like to drink, tea or whatever in the morning, and read through the book of Acts from beginning to end. And do it knowing that this is our story. This is your story. We're in this. What Luke was trying to help us see, the spirit at work you know, once Jesus left in his incarnate life form and came back in his spirit, sort of spiritual life form, if you will, 
and the way the early church needed to follow the Holy Spirit into the world that was going before them. And the action adventure that that had resulted in, that's what your life is. That's what our life is together. And find your place in that unfolding story and just know that that's what's happening. So that would be one thing. Read through the great action adventure of Acts and know that you're in it. Um, the second thing I would say is we have had a great, it's been the adventure of a lifetime. For me, we've had just a great 15 years. And now there was a lot of pain in those 15 years. So don't get me wrong. I'm not glossing over the pain and difficulty of you know saying goodbye to people we didn't want to say goodbye to. The pain and difficulty of um, you know having to close congregations. The pain and difficulty of conflict and seeming harm that have been done to people. So don't get me wrong, I'm not glossing over it. But amidst all of that, it has been the whole enchilada. And yet God continues to draw out new life and next steps. So thanks be to God. So, but we have had a great chapter or chapters together. And I would just encourage us to remember what about the culture that we've built is durable and needs to be nurtured and could easily be lost. So remember that and keep rebuilding those things that are life-giving, transformation-producing, and hope-developing. So keep remembering those things and keep building them because they can easily be lost. But the second thing is be different. You know, my season here has had a maybe a particular flavor. The next season in Northwest Coast Presbytery is going to have a different flavor. Embrace it. Become different. Embrace what God is shaping you into now. Not who God was shaping you into, but who God is helping you to become. So first word is enjoy the action adventure of Acts. Second word is remember what has been life-giving and hope-producing and be different with whatever comes next. That's what I got. And all God's people said, amen. Corey, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. God bless you, Doug. You're the best. God bless you, brother. Thanks to everyone who makes On The Verge possible. In addition to our adventuresome guests, I want to thank Jean Chamont, our musician and producer. Find out more about Jean at jeanchamont.com. That's J-E-A-N-C-H-A-U-M-O-N-T.com. Janine Taylor is our editor, and the Northwest Coast Presbytery has generously sponsored On The Verge. Please subscribe to On The Verge if you haven't already at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Corey Schlosser-Hall. It was such a delight to be your host for the first two seasons, and I hope you'll always be On The Verge.